Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. In our teaching, we have given three texts. Acts, the second chapter, verse 36. Philippians, the second chapter, verses 5 through 11. And 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, verses 13 through 15. We find out, first of all, in Acts, the second chapter, and verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know, assuredly, that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. And then in Philippians, the second chapter, and verse 9, we read that God highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of things or beings in heaven, of things or beings in earth, of things or beings underneath the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is what? is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then in the 15th verse of 1 Timothy 6, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God made him Lord. He is reigning as Lord. And he's coming again to show himself as King of kings and Lord of lords. And every one of us shall see him. Amen. Well, we'll be with him already. But the whole world and the whole earth shall see that Jesus truly is King of kings and Lord of lords. In our study, we've given you four basic divisions. Our first division being that Adam was made Lord. Adam was made Lord, which is God's, was God's initial intention from the beginning. We saw that he made Adam Lord over all the earth. He gave his, given him dominion and rule over all the earth, all of his creation, all the works of his hands. He said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and have dominion. It answers the first question that many, many people have still unanswered in their life. Why am I here? Why are we living in this world? Why am I here? Where did I come from? Isn't it a sad thing to say that people think we came from monkeys? Isn't it? Or the fish? I'm just going to relax a little if you don't mind. Fish? I don't want to think that I came out of a fish or a whale or a big old ape. Do you? You know, walking around eating a banana? I mean, I don't want to think about that. Think about it. I mean, you don't talk about being alienated from the life of God and darkened in, in your mind. You think about that for a while. I mean, you know, if we came from an ape, what's going to become us afterward? We're going to turn back into an ape or what? If we came out of the sea, what's going to be the end of our life? Are we still changing into something else? You know, we've had many theories, and they only are theories because man does not understand or know how to find God. But it's a very simple answer to that question. Why are we here? We are here because 
God made us to be rulers over all the earth. The, earth, the heavens, heavenlies were made because of the earth. And we said the earth was made because of man. And the only thing left greater than man is God himself. And the reason for man is because of the father heart of God. God wanted children. If you stop and think about it, what we're doing in this earth, what Adam was intended to do in the earth, was to be just as much a God of the earth as God is of all the creation. That's it. That's why we were put here. So we saw that in our first division, Adam was made Lord. Adam was made Lord to rule and to reign over the earth. The earth was not to rule or to reign over Adam. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no death. There was no curse. There was no calamity. There was nothing that would hurt. There was no stealing. There was no lack. There was no poverty. None of these things existed. This was God's intention from the beginning. And what a glorious life it must have been. Amen. What a glorious life it must have been. We said that his first responsibility, first and foremost, was to reproduce himself on the earth. No, we didn't come out of a fish or a monkey or a whale or something like that. But we were to reproduce. We came out of the bosom of the Father. We were to reproduce ourselves on the earth. Adam was. Create or give birth to God's children on the earth. To teach them up, to rear them up, to train them up. To understand their Father God, the Creator God, and to love and to worship and to serve Him all the days of their life. Think about that. No sickness, no disease, no calamity, no pain, no sorrow, no, no, no lack, no poverty. None of these things. No fear, no worry, no anxiety. Bless God, none of these things existed. This was God's intention from the beginning. It was His plan from the, from the onset. You know, this is what He wanted to be. Well, think about it. Never dying. Never getting sick. Never having to go to the grocery store. Not have to find out your coupons to find out what's the best bargain and the best buy. Never running out of gas. You know. I mean, if you had to go across the states, I believe Adam had so, so much power, he'd probably just say, state, come here. <laughs> and it would come. Or, body, go over there. And it would go. Think about that. I think we need to meditate on that kind of life that he had from the very beginning. Because if we understand what he had from the very beginning and, and truly knew in our hearts what power he had in the beginning, I believe we'll understand how much more power we have through Jesus Christ. Because he didn't lift, lift us up to a place of equality with Adam, but he lifted us up to a place of equality with himself. It's enough that the children be as the master, the servant be as the master. And in the new birth, we've been recreated in Christ Jesus to be heirs of God and joint heirs with the Son. Our second division, we saw Satan made Lord. Satan was made Lord. Adam was made Lord, first division. Second division, Satan made Lord. We find out the answer to our second question, why is the world like it is? Remember four points we gave you, four thoughts you need to understand? Number one being God's initial will, His intention from the beginning. Number two, Satan imposing His will on mankind. Then number three, how God through redemption reestablished His will on the earth. And then number four, how it's up to us to make our will God's will so that God can perform His will through our lives on the earth. Well, number two, we find out that Satan was made Lord. 
I don't think we, we've ever looked at it in such terms, but Satan was actually made Lord in place of Adam over the earth. In the, great, in the fall, we found out that sin entered into the world, death entered into the world, sickness entered into the world, disease entered into the world. And remember we said that Adam and Eve were to have dominion over every seeding seed that was upon the earth, every seeding seed that was upon the earth. Well, when Adam committed high treason and turned everything over to the devil, all the seed of the seed of life died out. It was destroyed. And Satan introduced his seeds into the earth. The curse came upon all the earth, the vegetable kingdom, the animal kingdom, and the seeds that were seeding on the earth were seeds of death and the doom and destruction, calamity, sickness, disease, death. The Bible says in Romans the fifth chapter verse twelve that as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin death by sin. So sin gained entrance into the world. Death entered into the world by sin. Everything that comes along with death came into the world as a seed that was planted in the heart of man. What a sad thing. And the worst part about it is that there's no more seeds of life to reproduce God's life in the earth. Every child born now will be born a seed of death. Can you imagine how that must have affected the Father heart of God? Can you imagine? Just stop to think about Adam and Eve were to reproduce godly seed. And now all mankind can do is reproduce seed under the devil. Look at the world. Listen to the newscast. Read the newspaper. What do you find out? A description of Romans, the first chapter that we read to you last night. God gave them up to a reprobate mind. Men with men, women with women, turning their natural use from it and just walking in all kinds of maliciousness and backbiting and everything you can name. It's all in the Romans, the first chapter. Everything you can think of happened when um, Satan became Lord. And that's why the world is like it is today. Then we went on to say that when Satan imposed his will on mankind, it destroyed that seed of death, a seed of life, and there was no way for God to ever get that life into the earth again through Adam. So we find our third division, number three. Jesus made Lord. A prophecy went forth from the mouth of God in Genesis, the third chapter, verse 15. And he talked about a seed, seed of woman. Remember we said that if we were to destroy all of one specific species of animal life, if we were to destroy every single one of them, that there could never be another one reproduced. And that's why we have those that are, have given their lives to preventing this from happening. We said that's why we've got those in wildlife in that kingdom that they try to preserve the wildlife and mate them so that they can reproduce and reproduce and reproduce until there's enough that if you want to go out and hunt again, you can go out and hunt. But it actually got to the point that there was no more life. There wasn't one more seed. I mean, if there's not another animal left to reproduce, then there's just no more going to be. They'll be extinct. The seed of life was extinct off the earth, from the earth. There was nothing in the earth that could ever again reproduce this life. It could not come from the earth. It was impossible for it to come out of the earth. So, 
the Father had a great plan. It's called the plan of redemption, where He would send somebody who was not of the earth to come to the earth to reproduce the life of God in the earth. It answers the question, what has God done for me? There's a lot of people walking around today. They say, what has God done for me? Has God done anything for me? If He's done anything for me, I don't know it. I talked to one individual, and he said, um, well, when God does something for me, then I'll begin to praise Him. Because, you know, some people are always talking about the devil, what he's doing. The devil's doing this, the devil's doing that. And I said, well, what about God? What's God done for you? Why don't you talk about Jesus, what Jesus has done for you? And his remark came, when Jesus does something for me, when God does something for me, then I'll talk about it. And I said, dear Lord. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to talk like that. I don't care if I ever received anything from this gospel, I still wouldn't talk like that. Because everything that he did for you is done in the spirit. And if you just had some insight into what he did for you in the spirit, it would get you set free in this natural world. And if you know what he did for you in the spirit world, no one would talk like that. I mean, thank God for his mercy and grace or you'd be another Ananias or Sapphira. Drop over dead right there. I mean, it's time we start to wake up to righteousness. May I interject a thought here? You know, it's proven medically, scientifically, that we don't use much of this. How much, how many percent, how much percent of a percentage of our brain do we use? 10 to 15 percent, something like that. Did you ever stop and think of why? I don't believe it was created that way. Do you? I don't ever think it was created that way. I believe that when man fell, his mind was so darkened and alienated from the life of God that he wasn't capable of using anything more than that. But when you get the life of God back in you, it'll just... It'll open up this here because of this spirit man being alive unto God. It'll give you light up, light, illumination to your mind. And you'll, be, you'll become so smart and intelligent in spiritual things, you'll be able to use this thing up here. And not for the devil, but for God. That's what happened. And when people talk like that, it's because they can't see. They don't understand God. They don't understand the Father. They don't understand Jesus. They don't know what He did. What did He do for me? When you understand what He did for you in the Spirit, you'll know that He can do it for you in the natural. And you'll understand it clearly. So our third division, we see Jesus made Lord. It answers the question, what has God done for me? What has God done for me? We've got some subdivisions. Let's go to the second chapter of Philippians again. Second chapter of the book of Philippians. This is God's will in redemption. This is what God has reestablished in the earth through redemption, through this great plan of redemption. But as we begin to see what He did through Jesus Christ and understand the steps involved in making Him Lord. Remember Acts the second chapter, verse 36, it says that God made Jesus Lord. As we begin to understand how He made Him Lord, as we begin to open up our spirits, get Illumination to our minds so that we can comprehend the depth, the length, the breadth, the height, the endless boundaries of His mercy and His love for us. Then we'll begin to understand how we are to live our life for Him and appropriate His blessings and establish His will that's already been established through redemption in our life now. There's two sides of this redemption. It's the vital side. It's the legal side. The legal side's not enough. Legally, it's already been done for us, but the vital side is when we become... One with the legal side. We make it ours. We begin to appropriate it. We begin to walk in the line of it. In the book of Philippians, the second chapter, beginning with verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was in, also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, 
and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's stop right there. There was no seed in the earth. There was no way God could reproduce life in the earth because there wasn't a seed. The law of Genesis says a seed will produce after its own kind. Well, there was none of this kind on the earth. It was destroyed by the devil. Satan became Lord. He legally had dominion. A redeemer had to come. He had to be an incarnate one. In other words, he had to be a spirit being that took upon him the form of a body. He could not be a disembodied spirit, but he had to be a supernatural, a spiritual being from another world, from another planet, to come unto this world and humble himself and lower himself to take on the form of a man, a body, not just for a year or two, not just for 33 years, but he left and set aside that glory with the thought of never, ever again getting back to it should he fail. And when you start talking about these things, people's mouths hang wide open. They don't, they don't understand this. Well, you need to meditate and let the Spirit of God teach you some things and open these things up to you. You think he just left it to have a little party? He set aside his glory, beloved, for you because he loves you so much with the thought that if he fails, he never goes back. God is defeated. He left that glory for us. And it means a spirit being gave up his first estate and came to this earth as a man. Don't you remember the angels that sinned way back there um, when they committed some wrongdoings with the ladies back then? They fell from their first estate. They gave up their first estate, their natural habitation, and they came to the earth and produced giants upon the earth. Go back and study it out. You'll see that they left their first estate. The Bible tells us they left their habitation, their first estate, and because of it, they were bound in chains of darkness underneath the earth in Tartarus until they would be judged in the lake of fire and thrown into the lake of fire. Well, this is what Jesus did. The incarnate one. That's what incarnation means. It means a spirit being takes on the form of a body of a man in the earth. He leaves that estate and he comes down into this habitation in the earth. That's the first thing he did for us. He had to make up his mind to do it and he did. He also must be a substitute for man. But let's look it over here in verse 6. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. The first division we have is his humility, or his humbling of himself. Our subdivision here. Jesus made Lord. Follow this out. Number one, his humility. His humility. Number two, his victory. And number three, his actual crowning. This is how God made Jesus Lord. In our first subdivision, we have his humility. Now, it means he gave up his glory. Now, if you stop and think about it, stop and think about his position as being the Word of God, the Son of God, as being the only begotten of God. His position is in the bosom of the Father. He is the Word. He is the second person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. By him all things were made. Without him was not anything made that was made. His glory is brighter than the noonday sun. He's glorious. We saw there in Psalm 19, 1, that it says the heavens or the heavenlies declare the glory of the Lord. And as we begin to see all the beauty there is in the heavenlies, how everything cooperates with one another to produce this life we have upon the earth, 
As we begin to see the glory of it all, the stars, and, and we could just go on and on and on and on and on about the glory and the beauty of the heavenlies, how glorious they are, we begin to realize that this Creator, this second person by whom all things were made, is far more glorious than all the glory of everything out there put together because He created it all. Amen? So He's got to be more glorious than all that. Well, st this first step of His humility, He actually said, I am willing... And if you could just imagine them talking up there, you know, the father said to the son, son, if I let it go the way it is and let everything be the way it is, every one of those people out there are going to go to hell and burn in the lake of fire forever and forever and forever and forever. And they're not just anybody. They were my children. My children. I wanted a family. That's why they're there. I made the heavenlies for the earth. I made the earth for the man. I made the man for me. That is my creation. Those are my people. But now they committed high treason. Now the devil has been made Lord over, over even the human race. If we let it go the way it is, they're all going to go to hell and perish. They're going to be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. We've got to get some life down there. There's no life down there. There's no seeds of life down there. We've got to get some life down there. What are you going to do? He said, Father, he said, I'm willing to go. I'll go. But you've got to give up your glory. That's all right. I'll do it. I'll love him. I'll go. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He wasn't just talking about this life on the earth. He gave up that glorious life he had in the bosom of the Father. He gave it up. I set it aside. You stop and think about it. If he fell like the first Adam failed, that's it. There's no redemption. That's it. We're doomed. Can you imagine living on this earth with Satan being your Lord forever and ever and ever and ever? We are eternal personalities. Can you imagine going off and living with him for an eternity? Some people are going to do it. But bless God, if you're born again, you won't. Amen? You'll live with Jesus and, and the Father God in his bosom forever and ever. But this is what's going on. What did he do for me? This is what he did for you. Number one, I want you to see these things in the Spirit. Clearly, number one, he left the glory world and he limited himself to take on the form of a man to put on a body. No wonder he cried when he lifted up his eyes and he said... Pray that the Lord of the harvest send forth labors into the harvest because in this stupid body I can't get out there to meet everybody's need. He knew what it was. He understood. He walked in the Spirit. A body was a limit, limitation to him, to his person. That's why I said it's expedient that I go. For if I go not away, the comforter won't come. I've got to get out of this body. I've got to go back to the Father. I've got to be back in that glory again. He didn't leave that glory for himself. He left that glory for you and he left that glory for me. The second part is that he became flesh. You remember over there in John's Gospel, the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. And then in verse 14 it says that, and the Word became flesh. You know, I'll tell you what, I talk about that, I read that, I, I looked over that before and I understood it before and to a certain extent. But you see, you just can't understand things up here. These things have got to become light inside your spirit. This word that became flesh and was called Emmanuel or called Jesus, it meant that he actually did it. He actually, being a spirit being, being God, left the glory world and came into this world and limited himself to put on flesh. That's what it means when it says, and the word became flesh. God became a man. God became a man. Being a higher form of life, he had the ability to do it. 
But you know, once he gained legal entrance into this world, there was no legal exit out except... Now listen to me. Except by the way of death. I am firmly convinced, and I'm not being dogmatic about this, that if Jesus didn't become sin, he could live by himself forever on this earth. Well, don't you remember he said, except a, a corn of wheat die and be planted to the ground, it abideth alone? We saw that in John's Gospel, the 12th chapter. Don't you remember? Except a corn of wheat die, fall into the ground, be planted to the ground, he abideth alone. What do you mean he abideth alone? He'd, he'd live by himself. Generation after generation, go off dying and there'd be Jesus walking around by himself. The devil had no power over him. Death had no power over him. They could not kill him. And he had no way to leave the world, the earth. He couldn't just zap himself back up there. Remember something, God does things legally. And so here he is, he's on this earth now. He's humbled himself to become a man. He took on the form of a man. He took on flesh. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, he says, you weren't satisfied with all these other sacrifices and offerings. Let's look at it together. Hebrews chapter 10. You saw it in our scripture, uh, Philippians 2, 7, that he took upon the form of a man, flesh. But in chapter 10, we have some insight to what I'm saying. Verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. See, he's talking about some good things that are going to come and happen. For the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of those things can never with those things which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there's remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world. Wherefore, when he, God, the Word, the second person of the Trinity, cometh into the world. Here's what he said. Sacrifice an offering you would not, but a body you prepared for me. You prepared for me a body. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. They couldn't do the job. But in the next verse, then said, I lo, I come in the volume of the book as it is written to do thy will, O God. He's coming to do the will of the Father. Above when he said, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither had his pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. He had to come in human form. He left. The Father prepared for him a body. You know the story, the story of his incarnation. You understand that. But I want you to see the depths of it. I want you to see what was behind it. I want you to understand that Jesus was, well, let's say the word Christ was willing to do this. God was willing to become a man for us. To bring into this world, sin entered into this world, death entered into this world, sickness entered into this world by the wrong gate. Remember there in John 10 where Jesus says, I am the door. If any man try to enter in, and he goes on to say about being the doorway of, of life, into life. And he says, anyone that entered into this, this, this place right here, not the way I did, is a robber and a thief. Well, the devil came in here to steal everything that God did, to destroy, kill, steal, to destroy. He brought death. He brought all his seeds of death. There was not one seed of death in this earth until sin entered into this world. Well, bless God, something greater than sin is on his way. He's coming into the world. And he's doing it legally. He's doing it according to God's plan. But when he comes, he cannot go back. Not by the same way. He must fulfill his journey. He gave you the steps. 
He says, I came from the, wor from the glory of the Father, came into this world. Again, I leave this world and go to the Father. And there's only certain ways you can do that. And they have to be legal ways. Now, we find out that a body is prepared for Him. And let's say it like this here. When Jesus took upon that body, took on the form of a man, He limited Himself in a sense that, not only did He limit Himself, but He humbled Himself in a sense that He's the one that created the earth. He's the one that created the world. He's the one that was involved in creating man and the body. And He that created it took a part of it Himself. He partook of His own creation. He limited Himself to a walk on the earth that He created. He limited Himself by taking on a human body. Now, that's His first act of humility. First and second act of humility. Humbling Himself. I, I don't think it's been stressed enough. I don't think we've opened up our spiritual eyes enough and stressed enough the importance of what we're saying. How He did this and why He did this. Not only how He did this, but why He did this. Why did He do this? Because He loves you and me. That's not an easy road that He took. You stop and think about what He did now. As we said, we gave an example before. Somebody built this building. And whoever did it, let's say an architect and so on, and all the people involved in doing it. Many people involved in doing it. But it's like the person that's involved in doing it actually becoming a support wall. He created it, put it together, but now he humbles himself and limits himself to become a nail. I want to show you how important this is. God is the creator of all the earth. God's the creator of everything that's in this earth. He must be far greater than it if he's the creator of it. But when Jesus became a man, he humbled himself to become like the nail in the wall. That's what he did. Now, he did it for you and me, but to think about it, the mind can't grasp it. Next phase of his humility, we find in 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, verse 21. You don't have to turn to it. Jesus became sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin. And if you've never read that scripture, you need to read it. He hath made him. Notice this. He hath made him to be sin for us. Notice that before he's made Lord, he's made a man. He's made sin. He's made a sacrifice. He's made an offering. In other words, before honor comes humility. Before exaltation, one must humble himself. Jesus then humbled himself to the extent that he became sin. He hath made him to be sin for who? For us. So this next phase of his humility, the one that is spotless, the one that is free from sin, the one that is holy as God the Father Himself, because He is God, becomes sin. To somebody who's sin conscious, you may not think anything about that, but you try to put sin and God together, and they do not mix. God and sin repel each other. There is no sin in God, and God is not involved in sin. For He cannot sin, and He will not sin. But Jesus, in the form of God said, no man's taken my life, but I lay down my life as an offering, as a sacrifice for you. I will become sin for you. Why do you think he was sweating, as it were, drops of blood from his face when he was in travail in the Garden of Gethsemane? Because he said, Father, if there's any other way that we can do this, if there's any other way we could bring it to pass, if there's any other way we can get the right seed in, in this earth, let this cup pass from me and let's do it, but I don't want to become sin. I don't want to die and go to hell. But not my will be done. He said, your will be done. So be it. And the battle was won there in the garden. 
He became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. And then we find out the next phase of it is in Acts, the second chapter, where we begin. Look at Acts, the second chapter. Let's go back there now. And let's start reading with verse 26. And when you're speaking along these lines, beloved, you get a lot of people that don't understand where you're coming from because they have a hard time grasping spiritual things. This you need to grasp and understand. Your mind will reject it. My mind wanted to reject it every time I thought it, but my spirit kept saying, it's true, it's true, it's true, it's true. Jesus humbled himself to become a man, to enter into the world and take the form of a man. He humbled himself to become sin on the cross. When he became sin on the cross, sin entered into his spirit, but it had no part in there before. Not because he sinned, but because he willingly became the sacrifice. And when he became sin, when he decided to become sin for man, to give his life for man, he had to pay the consequences of that sin. He had to pay the, the price of suffering for that sin. Let's look at verse... Start with verse 26. Acts 2, 26. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. The word there for soul, or for hell rather is Hades. And everywhere you find the word Hades, we find a place of torment. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy when, with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul, that his soul, that Christ's soul was not forsaken in hell. See, we've got to see some of these words here. His soul was forsaken in Hades. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hades is the place of those that are waiting to be cast into the lake of fire. That's where he was. See, he humbled himself to partake of our suffering. Let me say this to you. God cannot be just in sending anybody to hell unless Jesus went there first. Unless Jesus went there first. If the sacrifice was not willing to go all the way and pay that full price, then God would be unjust in sending anybody else down there. But if the, the sacrifice, if Jesus went all the way and did spend time in hell paying the sacrifice and burning there in hell paying the sacrifice for man's sin then God would be unjust in not sending somebody to hell that does not accept Jesus Christ as a Savior. Not to us, but He would be unjust to Jesus. We said in that fourth step, He must be our, our substitute. He must bear the burden of our sin. He must pay the sacrifice of our sin. And He had to do that. Now we find His legal entrance into hell. Now remember... His road from glory, from heaven, into the earth was legal by the birth of a woman, through a woman. His entrance into hell by leaving this earth was absolutely legal because He became sin. And the wages of sin is death. So He had to pay the price. Let's go on and finish reading this. Now, he went on to say there in verse 31, he's seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, 
that his soul was not left in hell. Neither did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that Jesus, whom ye have crucified, a Jesus, the same Jesus, whom ye crucified, is both Lord and Christ. God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. After his resurrection. After his resurrection, he was made both Lord and Christ. He raised him up and exalted him and seated him at the right hand. Now think about it. We have the whole plan of, of salvation right here. He left the heavenlies. He came to the earth. He became a man. He humbled himself. He became sin. He went into hell, legally left the earth. I'm leaving the earth, he said. I'm leaving this world and I'm going back to the Father. Little did they know that it was by the way of death. But through death he destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And he went there into hell. He paid the sacrifice for sin. The Father God saw that it was enough. He released him out of the pains of death. And that word pains there means sufferings of death, sufferings of hell. And when he raised him up, they lifted him up, he exalted him and he honored him by making him both Lord and Christ. Now, this was part of God's plan. This was part of God's humility, uh, Jesus' humility. Now, let's go over to another thought, number two, our second subdivision, and we'll tie these things together. His victory, his victory over Satan. Now, that was his humility. He had to do all that. But he has to also defeat Satan. He has to be victorious over the one that was victorious over Adam. Satan was, I mean, yeah, Satan was victorious over who? Adam in the garden. Satan legally won the dominion that Adam had over all the earth. It was legally his. The Bible tells us in whom the God of this world, Satan being the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those that believe not. He legally becomes the God of this world. He legally takes over Satan's, or Adam's dominion over all the earth. He's lording it over man. As we said, look out into the world, you find out that he's lording it over everybody except the born-again believer. And if you are a born-again believer, don't let him lord it over you. Don't let him lord it over you. And you'll see clearly how we can live above his attacks. We can live above his kingdom. We've been delivered from his kingdom. We can live above his sickness and disease. We can live above all the things that he tries to put on us through Jesus Christ as he's our Lord, if he's our Lord and Savior. His victory over Satan meant that he, as a man, first of all, must conquer him. Look at Matthew 4.4. 4. Matthew 4.4, 4, we find out him being victorious over Satan. As a man, yes, to win back the dominion that Adam had lost. But he also must destroy him in the spirit world. We're going to find that out also. And then he must also have victory over him in, in the sense that he breaks his lordship over the human race. This is how far-reaching his victory must be. All right, number one. As a man, he must defeat the devil in all his temptations. Matthew 4, 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Remember that Jesus was taken up into the mountain, led of the Spirit, to be tempted of the devil... 
when a tempter came to tempt him, etc., etc., Jesus withstood him with the word. You read right on through the passage of Scripture, you find out that three times the devil tried to uh, get Jesus to fall, just like he tried to get Adam to fall. He could not do it. Jesus as a man overcame the devil. Jesus as a man with the word overcame the devil. That's part of his victory. He had a victory over the devil as a man. Okay. We go on to find out that also he must destroy the works of the devil because Satan, when he became uh, God of this world, he destroyed the life inside man's spirit. And the works that were introduced to the world were the works of darkness. Go to 1 John, 3rd chapter, verse 8. I want you to just look at these and write them down for your own personal use. As a man, he must have victory over the devil in temptation. As a man... He's going to come and destroy the works of the devil on the earth. He did that when he walked the earth, but he's also going to do it in the spirit realm. Over here in the third chapter in verse 8, it says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest. In the latter part of the verse. For this purpose was the Son of God, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of who? Destroy the works of the devil or destroy the works of Satan. This is another reason why he came. He came to produce the seed of life. He came to bring life into the earth. He came to defeat the devil, to destroy the devil, to have victory and power over the devil. He also came to destroy the works of the devil, all the things that he did in the earth, the works that he did, that he performed in the heart of man. He came to destroy them. Go back to the book of Hebrews, the second chapter, and you'll find out how he's going to do this. He's going to destroy the works of the devil in his life on the earth, but he's also going to destroy the works of the devil by his death. You say, how in the world can somebody that is dead destroy the works of the devil? How could anybody that is dead do anything? Well, you're going to find out that Jesus did some things in the spirit realm. Hebrews, the second chapter, verse 14. I want you to notice how all these things will tie in together with what we're saying. For as much that as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise partook of the same. He was a partaker of the same flesh and blood. That's part of his humility. He partook of flesh and blood. Why did he do it? That through death, not through his life. Now listen to me. When Jesus walked the earth, he had power over the devil. When Jesus walked the earth, he had power over all the forces of darkness. They had no power over him. He didn't come to the earth to prove that he had power over the devil. He had power over the devil. He came to this earth and partook of flesh and blood so that he through death might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Not only did he come to destroy his works in the earth, but he came to destroy the devil and destroy him. And really one translation of this scripture is he came to paralyze him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Sin entered into the world and death by sin. And it was all because of Satan. But he came to destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Not only his works, beloved. To destroy his works is not enough. He must destroy him. To destroy the works of the devil is not enough. He must destroy the devil himself. And paralyze him. And cripple him in his own kingdom, in his own domain. And you'll find out that he did it. In the first... Well, let's look to Luke's gospel, first of all. Luke's gospel, the 11th chapter. I want to show you something here also. Jesus prophesied it himself. Beloved, I want to say something to you. I am seeing so clearly in my spirit that this Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan in the heart of man and destroy and paralyze Satan himself. On this 
plan of redemption being unfolded to us is showing us that God's intention was stymied by the devil, thwarted by the devil. Satan became the God of this world. That was his work in the heart of man. God had a plan to destroy the works of the devil and reestablish his life in the heart of man. Which is greater? Satan's work on Adam or Jesus, the second Adam's work in us? Which is greater? Which is greater? For the life of me. I don't understand how born-again Christians can be defeated in life. We said previously, yes, last evening, are we more than conquerors or are we the conquered? And I firmly believe it's just a lack of knowledge. The Bible tells us there's three reasons why a person dies before his time. That is, before he should fulfill his long life on this earth. Number one, my people are destroyed or perished for lack of knowledge. Number two, where there is no vision, the people perish. Number three, when you don't rightly divine the Lord's Supper, He says, many are sick among you and even die, right? Those are three scriptural reasons why anybody would die before they fulfill their life on this earth. Death has been destroyed and abolished. Jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not unto death, not unto calamity, not of the destruction, not of disease and sickness. But we want to see here right now where Jesus actually destroyed the work of sin, death, the devil, disease, calamity, poverty, lack, fear, worry. He destroyed all the works of the devil and he destroyed the devil himself. In Luke's Gospel, the, the, the 11th chapter verse... But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against, its, against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come unto you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, now notice this, not just his kingdom, but him, the strong man. When a stronger man shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh away from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Here we have a, a word of prophecy where Jesus is actually prophesying and saying that I am the stronger one. I am living on this earth. I prove it as I live on this earth that I am the stronger one. And I am going to legally gain entrance into Satan's kingdom where he's keeping his goods. The strong man armed in his own palace is keeping his goods. But when a stronger than he comes in and he goes into that domain and he overcomes him and overtakes him and destroys him, then he'll divide his spoil. That's what he says I'm about to do. So we see three phases of this victory. He is going to, as a man, overcome temptation. He is going to destroy the works of the devil by his death. Okay? By his death. Destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And here we find out he is going to actually overcome him himself. He says, I'm going to overcome him. Not only is he going to destroy the devil and his works that he's committed in the hearts of man, 
And not only is he going to just come into this place and through death, destroy him that had the power of death, but he says, I'm also going to overcome him. I am going to strip from him personally all his authority where any trusted. All his power where any trusted. All his goods were any trusted. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to show you that was the delight of Jesus. It was the delight of the heart of the Father God when he did it. Let's put it this way. As Satan left Adam naked before the Almighty God, Jesus is about to leave the devil stripped naked and ashamed before all his cohorts. After his resurrection, he's going to break the power, but then he's going to do it personally. Colossians 2.15 actually ties into that and declares it to be true. He declares it to be true. Paul did by the Holy Spirit that Jesus actually did this. Let's look at 2.15. Colossians 2.15. Verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He actually despoiled principalities and powers. He overthrew them in their dark domain. Let's tie these loose ends together now. Here we have the picture. We gave you scripture for it. We told you some things about it. But let's just make it in story form. We'll paraphrase it. Jesus left the glory world, or let's say the Word left the glory world. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. God left the glory world in the form of the second person of the Trinity. And the Word became flesh. He became a man. He humbled himself to take uh, on himself the form of flesh, the form of a man. That's an act of humility. You better believe it's an act of humility just to become a man. Well, just becoming a man wasn't enough for him because he had to take upon himself the sin of the world. He partook of the same nature, flesh and blood, that he through death might destroy him that had the power of death. Now, death could not enter into him until sin entered into him. There is no entrance of death until there's an entrance of sin. So, God hath made him to be sin for us that knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. So, on Calvary's cross, he becomes sin with our sin. And there he is. His body is taken to the sepulcher and his spirit is taken to Hades. In Hades, his soul is forsaken of God to suffer the consequences of your sin and of my sin. Now, there he is. On the earth, he, sh he did show that he was greater than the devil in all the works of the devil. He was greater than death. He was greater than sickness. He was greater than disease. If his resurrection is nothing but a physical resurrection, what big deal is it? Lazarus was resurrected. Others were resurrected from the dead. If all his resurrection is a, is a resurrection from a physical death, he didn't any, do anything better than anybody else did when they were resurrected from the dead. But if his resurrection from the dead is a spiritual resurrection from the dead, then he's a firstborn out of death. Firstborn out of death. So there he is. He's there in the regions of the damned. He's there suffering for you and for me. He proved that on the earth that he, he overcame the devil. He was victorious over the devil. But there he is. He's in the dark regions of, the dom of do Satan's domain. He's entered in there legally. Sin in his spirit gave him legal entrance into death, into hell. So he left this world. He goes into that world underneath the earth. The forces of darkness are all around him. He's being destroyed by the flames of Hades in torment. But the Father whispers over from the banisters of heaven. And he shouts out from above and says, It's enough. That's enough. That's it. It's all done. As far as I'm concerned, man's justified. And he speaks life back into the spirit of Jesus. And Jesus is the firstborn out of death. He's the first begotten 
out of death. But notice he's in Satan's domain. He's in Satan's kingdom. If his spirit did not have sin in it, he would have been in Abraham's bosom. But he wasn't in Abraham's bosom. He was in Hades because he became sin and he suffered the, uh, the price of our sin. So there he is. He's done all this for you and for me. And there he is. He's proved that he was greater than the devil on his earth walk. He proved that he was greater than all Satan's temptations as a man. But now listen. He's in Satan's domain. He's stronger than him because he's been resurrected now. Now, do you think that he was going to humble himself to do all these things, all of what he did for you and for me, and stop right there in Satan's domain and just walk off without doing anything? Don't you think that the Bible says, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. I'm going to take care of it. I mean to tell you, if it was a man that fell to the devil and the devil laughed in his face, you better believe that when Jesus Christ of Nazareth was born again in those regions of the dam, when life of God came into him and he was first begotten, and he rose up from the grave, it says over here in Colossians that he threw off from himself all the hosts of darkness. He walked over to the devil and he overcame him. The greater one overtook him, he overcame him, and he stripped him of all the power and all the authority that wherein he trusted, just as Adam was stripped naked right before the Almighty God. And he took a hold of that devil, and you better believe, he said, this is my fight. I've already died for them, but this is my turn. You let them get on me like they did. They destroyed my body. You destroyed my spirit. I paid the full price. Now, devil, it's time for me to get on your case. And he grabbed a hold of him and shook him right down to his very foundations. He put him the knot. He put him the shame right in front of all his cohorts and all his imps and all his demons and all those that trusted in Satan as being Lord. But blessed be God, he took the lordship right off of him. It fulfills the scripture, the prophetic utterance that came by the Father God when he said, His seed shall bruise your lordship. That's his head. Jesus being the seed of God planted into the earth, went into the regions of, the, uh, of darkness, and he stripped Satan of all his authority, all his power, all his lordship, and he resurrected from the dead as Lord High Priest. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the authority and the keys of death and hell. Never did before. You better believe it was a sweet victory for Jesus of Nazareth. It would hardly be fair if he just had to walk out of there without doing anything to the devil. But I believe he gave him... That's what it says there in Hebrews. He paralyzed them right there. He paralyzed them. He is still trying to find out where he's going. Did you notice over there in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, where it says... You don't have to turn to it. But where it says over there that... Um, we don't speak to you the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of God. And the wisdom... No, the wisdom of the princes of this world which come to naught. Well, a more literal translation, and I like this, this translation a lot better. It says, And the princes of this world, speaking of Satan and all his cohorts, that are, have been brought down to nothing, to naught, to nothing, and are declining to their end. Satan is no longer Lord. Satan is no longer anything. He's nothing. He's been brought to naught, and he's not even in the plus column. He is minus. Minus one, minus two, minus three. He is declining to his end. His end is the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone forever and forever. And that's where he's on his way. He's, ma he's making his exit. And the last phase of this is when Jesus, fresh from his triumphant victory in all these aspects, leaves this last stop. He left heaven, came to the earth, left earth, went into hell, left hell came back up to the earth and got his body. 
glorified. Says, Father, glorify me. He says, you're glorified, son. And he goes off to the heavenly holies of holies. And he stands there. This is the last phase of his victory over the devil. And he stands before the almighty throne of God, almighty God himself, with his own blood. And walks right on in and sprinkles his blood over the mercy seat, all the heavenly utensils of worship. And he says, Father, the New Testament is sealed in my blood. Man is redeemed. It was the last blow to the devil. The devil is no longer Lord over man. Jesus of Nazareth is Lord over mankind. He is recognized in all three worlds. Jesus is Lord of things or beings in heaven. Jesus is Lord of things or beings in earth. Jesus is Lord of things or beings underneath the earth. That means sickness, that means disease, that means death, that means poverty, that means Satan, that means all his cohorts. All these demons must obey when we hear the voice, any voice speaking the name of Jesus. He, his name is recognized, his authority is recognized in all three worlds. And far greater than that, Jesus is Lord over you and me. I want you to see it clearly. I want you to see it and understand it. I'll give it to you in scripture form and we'll close. Because we've got to get into his actual crowning. Dear Lord, hallelujah. You got a camp meeting night tonight? Colossians, you're there in the Colossians, the first chapter. Go back to the first chapter. I don't know about you. Sometimes it's hard to contain it all. When you begin to understand these things in your spirit. Here it is. Colossians, the first chapter. Let's read this in the light of what we just said now. 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Not as going to someday. He had. And translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Already has. In whom we have redemption. Not going to get it. We have it. Through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself, by Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you also. Whether they be in heaven, whether they be in earth, whether they be in you, He's reconciled all things unto Himself that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now those works were the works of the devil, but He destroyed the works of the devil. Yet now he hath, re hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you, to present you, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under the heaven, whereby Paul am made a minister. He's reconciled all things. Don't you remember on the glorious day of his resurrection that we saw the graves opened? It meant he had power over death, 
We saw the rocks cried out and many had power over all of creation. Even the mountains and the rocks and the stones and the trees and everything cried out. And the sun and the moon and the stars. Nothing was the same again. They all cried out that Jesus is Lord. There's only one thing left to cry out that Jesus is Lord. That's us. Everybody else recognizes his lordship. But if you don't recognize his lordship this night... Oh, you're missing out on all that God's done for you. That's what He's done for you. That's what He's done for me. But now you and I have got to appropriate all this. We've got to activate this. We've got to let this Lordship reign. You know how powerful this is, what we're talking about? Now we've got to discover God's ways. I've got one more phase of this. We'll have to pick it up tomorrow night. It's His actual crowning. I wanted to get into this. His actual crowning. His actual crowning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. How the Father sat Him down on the throne and crowned Him King of Kings, Lord of Lords, gave Him a throne and said, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of Thy kingdom and Your days will never fail. Never again will He taste of death. Never again will He be in the, under the bonds of sin. But forever and ever will he reign and rule at the right hand of the Father of God, on the right hand of the majesty on high, Jesus of Nazareth, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Beloved, this is so powerful that when recognized and understood in the heart of any individual, Jesus' life can be made manifest in the earth. My eyes are being so much open to it. How about yours? Amen. Well, let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.